Hello and welcome to the podcast, Building Confidence. My name is Sue Reed, and I am your host. Every week I will be discussing the subject of confidence with a new guest. So with no further ado, let's jump in. Wendy Essel is licensed in the state of North Carolina as a clinical mental health counsellor with over 23 years experience working with children, adults, couples and families. Her training, experience and general counselling practice includes working with clients regarding trauma, depression, anxiety and other life adjustments so they may live happier and more productive lives. Her practice also includes grief and loss, all aspects of family building, reproductive health, recurrent miscarriages, pregnancy loss and other fertility concerns, including cancer and preserving fertility. And you can find out more about what Windy does via fertileaffirmations.com and also in a solutionscounseling.com. And I will put those two sites in the show notes. So hi, Windy. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, Sue. So good to see you again. And so the question I'd like to start with is what would your definition of confidence be? That is a great question. I love talking about confidence, especially with the developmental piece that I work with. So confidence to me and how I work with the folks that I work with, whether my youngest client is five, my oldest client is 85. So it really is developmentally across the lifespan and it impacts us physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, financially. So my definition ebbs and flows as we develop and grow through our lifetime and within those parts of self. So big, small definition for that, but how we see ourselves, how others see us, what develops, how we feel positively, negatively, neutrally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think confidence is, it's just so wide reaching, you know, it's more than just being shy. It's, you know, having the confidence to mark your place in the world, to set your boundaries, to live to your values, to say what you want. That's it. So, and that number of self-esteem and confidence comes, you know, as children from outside of us. And if we have some sort of adverse child experience or some sort of trauma, that can really affect how we develop our confidence and strength as adults. Absolutely. Yeah. And and do you think that when you go through a trauma, having a high level of confidence, a high level of self-confidence, self-esteem helps to recover from a trauma? Would you recover faster if you were very confident in yourself? That is a very interesting question. I feel like, and studies will indicate that that will affect our confidence in a negative way. So I do believe that we are all very resilient and based on the type of trauma and how we are supported in that trauma will salvage some of that confidence and self-worth Hence the resiliency and bouncing back and learning new skills and coping skills to get through those things. So that we could talk for hours about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, it can go so deep, can't it? Because if you're, if you go through some, especially when you're young, if you go through a traumatic experience or, you know, something's going on in your life and you don't feel that you're supported, you don't feel that you've got anybody to talk to, then that is going to bring your your self-confidence right down. So I guess also confidence is is linked to who you've got supporting you. So 
your family, you know, your, your people, mm-hmm. maybe at school, at your, you know, in your right. uh, religious circumstances. So without that strong network, it's difficult to build your, your confidence anyway, I would say. And we see, I mean, I've been doing child trauma for 23 years and we've seen over the years just in our own little corners of the world doing this work and not just the studies that if a child has a network, like you said, whether it's school, whether it's a aunt, uncle, cousin, grandparent, parent, teacher who believes them, who tells them that they're going to walk through this with them, their confidence, you can salvage a lot of that confidence. Yeah. And then as you get older, I mean, I talking about fertility, I, I said to you earlier that when I was young, I, I mean, I didn't start having sex, to be honest, till I was 17 because I was a shy person. And I found it very, very difficult to, I found it difficult to say no for a start. And I also found it difficult to ask a guy to use a condom. So a lot of the time I had unprotected sex and that did cause me problems with sexually transmitted diseases, which later led to fertility problems. So I know now that young women in the UK, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, they are offered as a matter of routine, things like chlamydia tests quite often, which in my day, that wasn't offered at all. You know, you basically were in fact, you know, it wasn't talked about at school. We didn't really have any sex education about the importance of using protection. So what's your view on that? How how do you think confidence affects, you know, your ability to say to a guy, look, you're wearing a condom or we're not, we're not doing this. Right, right. I mean, that that goes right back to our developmental model as far as physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, financial parts of self. If we are not taught as females that we can say no or we can have that assertive confidence to say, hey, I'm really into this, but we've got these are the ground rules. There has to be a condom. What what do we do with that? Like you said, we don't have that like we should here in the U.S. either. And my hope, and I'm seeing it coming through the pipeline, is that any male or female, non-binary, when you go to your pediatrician and you are starting puberty, that they are starting to talk about that. And with my young people, I'm really advocating, especially my college students and high school students, advocating a fertility workup. And usually by the time we get to the doctor for a fertility workup, it's because there's a problem. So we're really advocating to be proactive. And I feel like the more us as parents talk to our kids about it, we're building confidence and planting those seeds. The more we talk about it in health class, the more the pediatrician is talking about it, the more the OBGYNs are talking about it. We're going to see a whole nother set of folks who are building that reproductive health and that sexual confidence. Mm. Knowledge is power. Yeah. So it's probably going to take a little time to all, you know, come into place, but it's, and I think in the UK as well, it is gradually building to what it was in my day, but we're still not where we need to be at all. You guys are talking more about consent and body autonomy. I am seeing a little more of that and not just how our parts work and not just how babies are made, but consent, conversation, how to ask 
someone to wear condoms or how to just have that basic conversation, not even ask, just this is this is the boundary, this is what it is. And it doesn't have to be aggressive. It can just be matter of fact. And so by the time folks get to their pediatrician or their doctor, a basic fertility workup is going to be the norm and not something that is put in place because of a problem. So Yeah. Yeah. And then you deal with the aftermath as well, where people do have fertility problems and maybe not because, you know, they've had unprotected sex. It could be, you know, lots of different reasons. It could just be, you know, the way, the way they're, they, they were born, the way they are. To the parts of self as well, because as you know, fertility is deep and wide. It's 50% a female problem, 50% a male problem. And within what is the, the current stat is, it is 40% male, 40% female, so 50-50. And then the other 20% is either a combined issue or unexplained. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a male issue. It's not just a female issue. So. Yeah. And so when a young couple are trying to get pregnant, how does confidence fit into that? Because if you if you have low confidence, if you if you're worried about what might happen, how does that affect your ability to get pregnant in the first place? If I'm understanding you correctly, I think confidence isn't going to affect our ability to get pregnant, but it can affect how we relate to our partner. So if there is a confidence issue, well, we have to have sex in order to get pregnant. So if we're not having sex, we're not going to get pregnant. Like it it comes back full circle. Our confidence affects the couple physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, financially. So, and then if we're dealing with a social infertility, say with my same sex couples, they are dealing with more than just pregnancy or trying to get pregnant, they're dealing with the social aspects and it's going to cost them more because they have to utilize either sperm donor, egg donor, or surrogate. And that goes into a whole nother piece of the impact on folks' confidence, physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, financially. I was just wondering if if you are somebody that maybe suffers from a lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, whether the anxiety that that might bring on might mm-hmm. make it more difficult to get pregnant because you're you're worrying worrying about everything about you know what could go wrong and and are we less likely to reach out to a reproductive endocrinologist and get specialized help if our confidence is low or are we blaming ourselves like it's all me I, it, I don't need to go to the doctor this is just I just need to stress less and try harder and that really is still a myth and a stereotype that you know, it's, it's somebody's fault. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, th- I mean, that's natural, isn't it? And I, I think it's more natural for women than anything that if anything goes wrong, we blame ourselves. We think it must be us. And that's a lot of pressure too. So as far as, or am I being too anxious? Is that causing my infertility? Anxiety and depression can sometimes affect our ovulation, but it does not cause infertility. Most infertility is a medical problem, whether it be a tubal issue from an undiagnosed sexually transmitted disease or a sperm issue. It, yeah, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? <laughs> does anxiety cause infertility or does infertility cause anxiety? We definitely know that infertility causes anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so... If you're trying to get pregnant and it's it's not happening, how long do you recommend waiting before you maybe go to your GP and, and seek help? Mm-hmm. That, that is a really good question too. So the stats change often, 
the current stat is that if you are 40 and above, you don't wait. You go straight to a reproductive endocrinologist. Here, if you are under 35, you go one year with unprotected sex unless you know you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis, then of course, I would always recommend my folks go straight to a reproductive endocrinologist. They're a gynecologist and then a reproductive endocrinologist. And then over 35, three months, three months of unprotected sex. And yeah. then go to your... Yeah, because otherwise you could be leaving it too late anyway, I guess. But for me, I, I'm i a huge advocate, like I said in the beginning, of uh, there should be a basic fertility workup as soon as someone hits puberty. Because right. that way we can diagnose. I've had so many folks, since I've started encouraging my parents and teenagers to do that, we have diagnosed endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome early, much earlier, which saves a lot of headache, anxiety, low self-esteem. That's my hope and dream is that it will become the norm that we have a fertility workup for our young people and not when something is on awry. Because when yeah. you die early, then you have the chance to protect and preserve their fertility. And they're not walking into your office at 30 or 35 or 40 going, why didn't anybody tell me this? Mm. Yeah, really good idea. I hope that becomes the norm all over, you know, everywhere. Because that would, I mean, it would save an awful lot of stress right. and, and heartache in, in the future. And also it would save an awful lot of of money, you know, in the UK, we have the National Health Service, which is under a lot of strain at the moment, totally underfunded, under lots of strain. Um, so, you know, <laughs> prevention is better than cure, isn't it? And to bring that full circle back to what you were saying in the beginning about teaching that confidence to have those conversations about condoms and protection, I mean, think of all of the physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, financial things we would say if we taught that confidence. To be able to say, hey, this is great, but we need to work on them. Yeah. When things do go wrong then, so when you find out you you do have a problem, maybe, you know, but let's start when you when you're trying to get pregnant and you find out that for whatever reason you can't, how would you deal with that from a confidence point of view? I'll speak from my personal experience and from my professional experience. And when I was struggling, we didn't have the amount of support that we have now. And so I remember clearly how isolating it was, how embarrassing it was, what a failure I felt like, and that impacted my confidence on every level. As a female, as a potential mother, as a spouse, as a friend, as a daughter, as a business owner, it, it took many years to work through that. Luckily, I had a very supportive best friend. I had a very supportive boss. And so that I think really got me through some of my darkest days is having that tribe, having that support system. And I see that clearly with the folks that I work with, with my clients, they feel so alone that nobody is going through this, that nobody understands this. And it affects your confidence on every single level physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, financially, the cost for each of those parts of self, it's, it's very traumatic. And unless you've walked through that, it's very hard to explain it, hard to understand it. 
But I think we're doing a great job as a society. As you see on social media, there's a lot more education, a lot more awareness. I mean, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month was last month in October. We're doing a great job of working through that all months of the year, not just one, because that's part of a fertility issue is not being able to, not just not getting pregnant, but keeping a pregnancy. So long rant for that. Yes. <laughs> no, I can. I, it's everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can relate to that because, um, like I said, I had I had fertility problems when I was younger, and I had two ectopic pregnancies, and I wasn't in a good marriage at the time anyway. So, uh, at the end of the day, it was probably a blessing because you know we we split up. But, but isn't it hard during that time to to see the silver lining? Because eventually, we do see the silver linings, but in that moment, we really need the validation of this. Stinks. Nobody should have to go through that. It's it's extremely dramatic. Mm. It was awful because my second ectopic pregnancy, you know, the consultant in the hospital, he just said, well, you realize you're very unlikely to have a normal pregnancy now, don't you? And it was as, you know, as abrupt as that and then walk out the room like I was nothing. So, you know, I was in flats of tears. And then my husband said that, um, he was, well, his mother said to him, what are you going to do now? And he said, in front of me, I'll find another wife, of course. <laughs> and see, that is, and we talk about that in group, that that is everyone's biggest fear. I'm so sorry that that happened to you because most partners, 98% of partners are supportive. They married you for you, not for your uterus or your eggs. And yeah, that is, that's, it was. I mean, it was. It was. Uh, I look back now, and I think you know, it's just one of those things. And I'm, I'm was glad to be rid of him in the end. But even after that, his mother, every time she saw me for eight, well, I think until we split up, but every time she saw me, she said, "Are you pregnant yet? Are you pregnant yet? I want a grandchild. Are you pregnant yet?" Knowing that I've already been told I can't have children. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. A lot yeah. Of pressure. So my hope is that we are also as a society educating friends and family members on how to be present with someone, hold space with someone who's experiencing a medical emergency like that. Because ectopic pregnancies can kill you. If they rupture, that's, that's, yeah, that's very dangerous. Yeah. That's why they said, you know, you shouldn't have any more. So I got myself sterilized to protect myself. And things turned out fine because when I married my my now husband, when his son was 10, he came to live with us. He he didn't want to live with his mum anymore for, you know, various reasons. He has nothing to do with her now. And he is my son. And I've he's got his own child. So I've got a grandson through him. So mm-hmm. everything worked out in the end. And and that's how I mean things do, don't they? They do work they out. Do. And that's why I thoroughly enjoy the groups that we have and the individual counseling that we have, because when we hold space and support people through that grieving process, then they work that out and they're eventually able to to identify as a parent in another way, whether they choose to not have children and be child free or have being a parent to someone else's child or being a coach or being a teacher. The whole point is to acknowledge and embrace those traumatic feelings. So you can then walk through to find that joy in another way. Mm. Yeah, because that's another issue, isn't it? When you really don't want to have children, you don't want to get pregnant. And there is such a lot of pressure on you from society. Like, why don't you, you know, what's wrong with you? Do you not like children? Why don't you want children? (laughs) You can see it's a double-edged sword because there's child-free living and thriving by choice. 
and not by choice. Yeah. And then, so going on from that, you've then couples that get pregnant, but then lose it either through a miscarriage or at birth or shortly after birth, which again, must be one of the worst experiences you can go through. Very traumatic. It's very, it's trickery, I call it, because you work so hard to get that pregnancy and then it's just gone. And so every pregnancy after that, it's, you know, pregnancy after loss anxiety. It is so real because every second you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to the bathroom. What am I going to see? It's it's spiritual. It's 24 seven. That's why I encourage folks to find a counselor, find a group so they can, you won't stop those feelings of anxiety and dread, but you can cope through them in a much healthier, productive way. Mm. So if there's a young person listening, so will anybody listening who thinks, well, yeah, I would really like to get pregnant, but I am worried because, you know, I've Maybe I've had problems in the past. Maybe, you know, I, maybe I, you know, I don't have a, a regular partner because that's another issue that women have. What should I do? So if I, if I want to get pregnant and I'm, I'm worried about what my health situation might be, what, what's the first thing I ought to be thinking? I recommend that everyone, whether they're thinking about trying or not, to go get a basic fertility workup with their OBGYN. One of my favorite sheets that describes all the tests is on CNY Fertility Center's website. And it's the, they list all the tests that folks should get, whether they're trying or not. And there's some blood tests that can check your hormone levels, can check, you know, if you have any sort of vitamin D deficiency, iron deficiency. So there's a nice comprehensive list on CNY's website that lists everything you would need in order for male and female that direction. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll put that website in the show notes. I mean, I guess in the UK there will be a test that your your GP can offer, yeah. mm-hmm. but some of them you would extra ones you'd have to pay for, I guess. But you know, if you're serious about getting pregnant, then that should be something that you are thinking about. And like I said, my hope is that we're all moving towards those being the norm and regular testing, just like you would test for your glucose or your cholesterol. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is another thing. We don't value our bodies enough, do we? And I think, you know, if we, so, you know, fertility issues, pregnancy, I think right from, well, right from puberty, we should start thinking about our bodies, owning our bodies. How do we look after it? Because that, that body, you're not going to get another one. That body's got to last you all of your life. And that body confidence, absolutely. So you're building that body confidence. Definitely, because they do wear out over the years. And so in looking after it is important. So what tips would you give to somebody who maybe wants to live a better life health-wise, but isn't? I don't know what you all are seeing there, but here with our high schoolers and young college students, we're seeing a lot of vaping. And so any person I speak with or meet, I don't care if it's in the grocery store or my clients or clients' parents or whomever, if that's the one thing that I could be on the soapbox about is what you put in your body. Look at your environment. Look at the single-use plastics that you're using. Those are endocrine disruptors. Please don't vape. Please don't smoke. So anything that's in your control that you can do to value and love your body and not put poisonous substance in, don't do it. 
No, definitely. No, I mean, it always, because when vaping first came out, I thought it was supposed to be to help people give up smoking. But then I walk past the school and there's all these school kids vaping. And I'm thinking, well, you can't be trying to give up smoking. What on earth are you doing? And it's unfortunate because it's causing a whole host of lung issues, fertility issues. Yeah. Yeah. Fertility issues as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The there's some studies. If you look on BioNews out of the UK, it's one of my favorite science-based research entities, and they have several good studies on the toxicity of vaping and sperm production. Wow. Gosh. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. So is there a, a message before we finish up? Is there a message you would like to leave for the listeners? It would be that we're all resilient. We all can add to our confidence bank. Life is going to throw us curveballs physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, financially, but it's up to us to decide what we want to do with that. Which wolf are we going to feed? Are we going to go down into the dark hole or are we going to allow ourselves to dip our toe in that dark hole, acknowledge, embrace it, but then pause and shift to walk through to what's productive? What do we have control over versus what we don't? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So in the show notes, I will put details of your websites and the the two sites you've mentioned so that listeners can have a look if they want to. And it has been amazing talking to you. Really interesting. It's a different take on confidence. So really, really good. So thank Thank you so much for being here. And if you want to do another one, we can do a part two. Absolutely. Yeah. We can talk about another issue. (laughs) That's wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much. I will say goodbye and finish here. Hello everyone again. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please subscribe and that'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. And so from me, Sue Reed, goodbye until next time. Thank you.